Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Good evening, everyone. It's been a, been a, good, good, a good day all round, I'd say. And uh, for all of you out there, pop, pop, roll up, roll up for the latest week in what is the bonkers clown car season of Tottenham Hotspur FC, where despite death, illness, injury and takeover rumblings, Saturday night had ended bizarrely with the chance to get back into those Champions League qualification spots. Uh, you know, look, it's certainly advisable not to follow every swerve and curve or else you'll get dizzy and nauseous. And he's only a fool who predict where this season will end. But what was clear was that West Ham arrived at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in the bottom three, needing points to get out, while we arrived at our Citadel knowing a win would get us back into fourth ahead of the slowly faltering Newcastle. Step up, royalty, followed by a burst of sunshine as Spurs prevailed by two goals to nil. And we'll be looking back at that game, as well as our narrow 1-0 defeat at the San Serio last Tuesday in the first leg of the last 16 tie to AC Milan. But, as we all know, the first up, the Game is About Glory pod, is the week that was. Milo, lead us off. On Wednesday, the Financial Times reported that a consortium led by Yam Najafi are preparing a $3.75 billion bid to buy Spurs. Valuation is made up of $3 billion for the club's assets and $0.75 billion, which takes into account our existing debts for the stadium and COVID losses, and not a leveraged buyout, which is some people are interpreting the story as. Najafi is head of a US-based investment group called MSP, and the FT say that they're looking to put, in, uh, put up 70% of the funding, with the rest coming from private investors in Abu Dhabi. MSP already have some sports investment stakes, including McLaren Racing, Bundesliga club Augsburg, along with clubs in Portugal and Spain, and a stake in NBA franchise Phoenix Suns. MSP have previously been linked with buying a minority stake in Everton, and the Jaffe and MSP's CEO, Jeff Morad, attended Everton's game against Southampton in January. Fernando Lorente has announced his retirement for professional football a few weeks short of his 38th birthday. Lorente made 36 appearances for us between 2017 and 19 in a career that also saw him play for Barcelona, Athletic Bilbao, Bilbao Athletic, Juventus, Sevilla, Swansea City, Napoli, Udinese and Ibar. He has 24 Spanish caps and played for the Basque country five times. I mean, we all, all the best on the retirement of this gorgeous man, right, chaps? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realise he was still playing, actually. I mean, he's, he's doing well if he's still playing to 30. My first oh. memory of him was actually at White Hart Lane when he played in a pre-season game for Athletic Bilbao. And it was the mm. same day that the riots kicked off about half a mile up the high road later that evening. But he The riots obviously a... kicking off because Fernando Lorente and his gorgeous, gorgeous looks and hair had deemed themselves uh, to be present at the lane. Sure, right? that, sure that was a contributory factor, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, it, and it just means I just have to. This is why I'm not one of the terrace leading sing song people, but I will air the song I sang after the Man City quarterfinal, which was, There was something in the air that night. The VAR was right. Fernando. I, I, I love him, mate. Big Nando's great. He was, a, he was great. And he was good looking, wasn't he? He was a handsome man. He was. He was. Well, I, 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 like, I, like, I like our footballers to be handsome. I like our managers to be handsome. Again, back to Poch. Anyway, take... Bail me out here, Milo. I'm, I'm wandering off on a tangent. Please save us all. Talking of attractive managers, on Thursday it was announced that Antonio Conte has been told by his doctors to take more time off work following his gallbladder surgery a few weeks ago. Antonio stayed in Italy following our game against AC Milan on Tuesday and will remain there whilst he convalesces. Christian Cellini and Ryan Mason will take charge of first team duties in his absence. No shock. 
I mean, everyone uh, who had a pair of eyes could see he shouldn't have been back early. So let's hope he does it properly this time is all I can say. We were saddened to hear of, of Christian Atsu's passing uh, as well this week. And, you know, obviously not a Spurs player, but a footballer who played most prominently for Newcastle, you know, played in quite a few clubs, actually, and was most recently in Hatospor. Uh, in Turkey, and he died sadly during the awful earthquake which has devastated that part of that country and Syria in recent weeks. And, you know, as you can see by the outpouring in football for him, he was one of the very good guys and he dedicated a lot of time and money to various charities and was an ambassador for Arms Around the Child, which is a worldwide organization dedicated to improving the lives of children living in extreme adversity. I actually went and did a little reading about them on their website and they seem like a righteous charity. So if you're interested, you should really look them up. Um, uh, our deepest sympathies to Christian's family and friends. 31 is absolutely no age whatsoever. Uh, really, uh, really sad. Really sad. Sure, we'd all agree. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is no easy segue to go from something like that into the uh, today's game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against West Ham. So, we'll just move to today. To, we'll just move to today's game against West Ham at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And we will start, gentlemen, with our. Usual question is, what did you think of the team selection? Ben Davis starting at left wing back. That was a big surprise. And then Sonny finally getting dropped after after several months of you know not great performances with Richarlison starting. Skip being selected over Saar. Probably the three talking points, aren't they? Yeah, I, well, I, maybe the question mark about whether Porro would come in and start today in a game where we anticipate having lots more of the ball in, in the final third, where I suppose he's been bought in to add that extra little bit of quality. But probably it wasn't a surprise that, that Royal kept his place and this will go to talk about i'm sure we'd all agree that decision was was vindicated um yeah he was never going to change the shape so yeah skip or or sar in midfield again probably in in, in hindsight decision is vindicated a little bit but i mean i I think the question i would have and obviously it's not one that i I doubt it's one that either of you can answer unless you too were on the phone to antonio during the game um is that when he makes a decision like picking skip over over Saar is that a seniority thing and that's something that you brought up Milo in, a, in, in our chat thread and you, you do wonder if it is the way he just works he's like okay the, you know the age rank file you know what I mean I don't know because Saar seemed the better fit at first not to say anything Skip played well but yeah I think it's exactly that I think um, I think it's seniority I think you know effectively you could plot out our squad position by position rank them in order of age and that's pretty much the order that they're going to get selected in i think i don't know whether it would have made any impact on the decision but skip and hoiberg last played together in the game at crystal palace that we won 4-0 and it was one of our better performances and then i was looking back and hoiberg and Saar started in the game against arsenal and whilst we thought Saar was probably the one positive that we had um in the team that day it's obviously from a from a team and a structure where we've lost them and were pretty poor so whether they looked at that and decided on that basis recently that Skip and Hoiberg playing has been a more successful partnership or not based on the results is a possibility no, I mean I suppose it is fair to say that we were all thinking uh, in the summer that Skip was the was the natural like well if one of the you know Rodrigo and Pierre's drop out you know Skip's going to come in so on that basis yes it makes sense it's, I guess Sars ascent has been very very recent the thing the consideration with Skip is it's taken him a long time to get over the injury he had last season I think yeah he's slightly kind of I was gonna say dodgy form that's probably a bit unfair but yeah he, he he hasn't been back to his best so far this season up until you know the last few 
you know, this week really. And I, I do just think it's taken him a long time to, to get over that injury and, and recover some form. I think it's interesting, Gareth, that you mentioned um, that the last time they played was Crystal Palace because in many ways the pattern of this game whilst not, you know, ball by ball, stroke by stroke, um, it did. they sort of emulated each other in the fact that the first half, um, I think we would all agree, was tentative, um, somewhat rudderless, somewhat head-scratchingly flat and, and, and completely lacking in any cohesion or dynamic. And, and I think maybe it was a fast approaching one of our worst performances of the season, right? I mean, at that point, it seemed really, where are we going? What are we doing? The first half, the ref blew his whistle, some football happened, and then the ref blew his whistle again. And I can't, I can't tell you anything else. That was it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It was really like that, wasn't it? I mean, it was head-scratchingly weird. I mean, you know... Spe- nothing happened. It was it was just nothing. Well, that's a challenge. We've got a handball and we've got a, a shot over the bar from West Ham. There was nothing. I mean, I think, I think the XG at half-time was 0.3 to West Ham, 0.17 to us. Richarlison got played through. Richarlison got played through, didn't he? And sort of went for that speculative shot, which if it did not make the keeper, would have been a great goal. But it just turned out to be a block. But yeah, we're scratching. We're really scra- we're chicken scratching to find anything. Gareth, uh, you know, no, can you can you was... contribute to this? In in a, in, in, in but and tell us no, you've got it wrong. You missed this dynamic piece of play in the twenty third minute. I don't think there was a power outage or a Wi Fi outage. I know you had that. For a home game a few weeks ago, Steph, where you really hadn't seen anything in the first half. But no, genuinely, there, there, there wasn't. There was the chance that Bowen had that snapshot from the edge of the area in, mm. I think, the second or third minute that came from an error from, from us. And then beyond that, yeah, absolutely nothing happened. We were talking beforehand. The only thing conversation I was having with people at half time around me was whether it was, a, whether it was a handball for a penalty, which maybe we'll come on and talk about. And the reason why that was such a prominent conversation because there was really nothing else to talk about within the game. There was there was little action. I think Hoiberg had a shot from range that was pretty comfortable for Fabianski, but no, no, nothing in the first half. Well, before we get to the the the, the flashpoint of the first half by context, <laughs> it was a flashpoint. Before we get to that, let me just advance a question. I do have the notes here, which is about Decky, because a couple of times in the first half, we saw him make shapes to cut in on his left, and and we saw him a couple of times get run out on his right, like run, run all the way out, just the, the, you know, kind of gently nudged off the ball in a way that's not like him. He seemed to be tentative with that final decision. He were used to seeing him turn across and whip that ball back across from the left to the far post. He didn't do it at all that I remember first half. He was looking to pass it off. It just seemed like he was fighting for confidence. I mean, it, it, do you think that's what it is? What is it? What do you think is going on? What was going on with him, should we say, especially in that first half, has been generally? Uh, so, well, I, th- I think he lacks that first half yard of dynamic pace at the moment. Um, so whereas when we've seen him at his best, he just glides past players. And it's almost Chris Waddle-esque that he can go inside or he can go outside on you know on either feet. And, and it just happens out of absolutely nowhere. It's, it's, it's probably in the shoulders. It's in the deception and the disguise that he gets past players. But he doesn't seem to have that about him at the moment. And then when he was getting back on his left foot, he was crossing the ball. He was getting too much on it. It was, was going far too deep. Um, it almost feels like he's having to overthink things at the moment and you know possibly uh, he received the ball in areas where as soon as he was cutting back inside there was suddenly another claret shirt around him and I think he was probably playing in very condensed spaces because West Ham were defending reasonably successfully deep which 
probably makes has an impact on on what we're seeing and what he can do. I think when you see him at his best, it's when he's got space in front of him. I think he struggled a bit for form since the season restarted. Um, I thought he got better as the game went on today. I thought he had a very quiet first half, but so did everyone, as we you know just discussed. I thought as we got into the second half, I thought he you know grew into the game. You know, certainly he was certainly wasn't as bad as he was against Leicester last weekend, where he was had a very very poor game. Um, yeah, I think he's probably just another one who's you know he's had a couple of injuries and it's just uh, just struggling for form, struggling to to get back in his rhythm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And uh, I like your um, I like your uh, observation that he's a bit waddle esque. I suddenly started to imagine a ginger mullet. Hmm. Maybe he needs maybe he needs hair extensions on the back to give him a little more swagger. Yeah, no, nobody's taking that. No, I'm not having it's that. Not, it's not that. It's not that sort of afternoon, is it? Nobody's even given that. No, no one's given that any credence at all. My, my, uh, <laughs> my tactic for Decky's uh, form improvement: a mullet. Yes, you heard it here first, or you didn't because it'll get cut. Um, but anyway, uh, what we can say was uh, was uh, you know as we approached the middle of the first half, there was this flashpoint which we've been talking about enthusiastically because maybe it is the only thing to talk about. Um, was it a handball? Or was it not? Were we denied a clear-cut penalty? And I think it's important we talk about this because as it turned out, it wasn't crucial to the outcome of the game. But on another day, it really could have been. And I think it's easy to not mention these things when it, it doesn't impact the outcome of the game. Um, I thought on balance it probably was, although I'm going to caveat that by saying I've got a feeling that had it gone to VAR, they might have judged that Harry Kane had come back from an offside position and affects the defender before the incident actually happens. Um, so it is worth just, just, just looking at that and bearing that in mind. But um, Michael Oliver is definitely the best referee that we've got in the Premier League. You can tell by the sort of games that he's getting by UEFA. So he did Bayern and PSG on Tuesday night whilst we were playing in Milan. We very rarely have him. It's only the second time that he's refereed a game at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since it opened. So we don't often get to see him, particularly in a, in a home game. Um, I think on balance, it probably was a penalty. I don't think it's a 100% penalty. I think it's probably a 70% penalty. Um, my big issue, though, with Michael Oliver refereeing is that whoever's doing VAR, who is subservient to him in the pecking order for referees, I don't think he's going to overturn him and tell him, Michael, I think you've got this wrong. I think you need to have a look at this. And actually, he has got form, Michael Oliver, for looking at the VAR monitor and judging that his on-field decision was correct, which maybe is a good thing. Maybe that's what we want referees doing when they're, when they're sent to the screen. Um, but I do think that you almost might as well not bother having a VAR when Michael Oliver is refereeing, because I don't think anyone has got the balls to say to him, Michael, I think you got this wrong. You need to have a look at it. Before you answer the question, Milo, doesn't that sound a little personal from Gareth there towards poor Michael Oliver? Poor little Michael. He said he's the best ref going, so... And proceeded to give him an absolute clattering. The character assassination. The <laughs> <laughs> assassination. It's, anyway. it's, very, it's very difficult to tell with Gareth when it's, uh, you know, it's that, that's as vicious as a, as a, a Gareth t- tongue lashing, is it? That's... The Ledley King of podcasters. You can go in hard, but make it look completely legitimate. Very good. I like that. That's form. Anyway, so go on. Handball or not, Milo? I agree with Gareth. You know, see it, see it given, not see it given. I don't think there was enough there to overturn it on VAR because it's it's not clear cut, no. But but you see them given plenty of times. 
Well, <clears throat> I'll hold up my end of the bargain and say I thought it was a, an, an error on all parts, and I think it should have been a penalty. I think you're not going to see too many clearer incidences of handball. I could take all the context, but I think it was a mistake. So I would have given a penalty, even if it was against us. <laughs> I would have accepted a penalty had it been given against us, let me say that. And I would have been thinking, had it not been given against us, wow, we got away with one. But uh, anyway, that being that, half time came. <laughs> we sat and wondered what could deliver us from the turgidity of, uh, of the first 45 minutes and turgid it was indeed um but you know the second half we, we came out with it with a slightly different air and attitude right isn't that fair to say yeah i thought we were on the front foot right from the kickoff in the second half i thought there was a you know, palpable difference in intensity and in intention it felt like we always wanted to go and play full forwards um and it was it was it was pleasing to see if begs that question about what is it that happened or is said at half time that isn't said before the game and in preparation for it but i know milo's got some thoughts and theories on that i won't repeat what i said last week i just think our fitness isn't there and we can't play for 90 minutes twice a week and i think the first half was you know either consciously or subconsciously you know reserving energy and we came out and played for the second half and you know we were noticeably uh more intense you know from the off I think it's an interesting question around the fitness because I think fit, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely something to it. I mean, there's no doubt. But I mean, just as a side question, are we are we talking raw physical fitness or are we talking conditioning? Because they are two different things. You know, physical fitness is is something that I think all footballers do have, and they they do get tired and they need rest. But conditioning and 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 getting your conditioning right, you know, those are the fine margins. And it seems that, that is. Do you think that's what the issue is more than simple? You know, when people think of fitness they think of cardio can you run up and down a hill 10 times but this looks like a conditioning issue no yeah i'm not gonna repeat what i said last week but yeah that, that's, that's exactly that i think we're, we're undoubtedly fit but I, I don't think we're in great condition or not in great condition to play that many games it looks to me like we're overtrained i'll add one more thing to this which is not in our script but i think is very relevant to throw a different curve to this particular discussion which is there are you know for the first time in the last couple of weeks and who knows where these stories come from where they get planted um but it's been known for some time that perhaps you know there are decisions made on how we train during the week by antonio that that are quite erratic that change at the last minute sometimes days off are you know are postponed um sometimes you know sessions are run differently to how people thought they were going to be running i mean do you think that that sort of chop you know chopping and changing and starting affects the rhythm of condition in terms of how you rest you know how you prepare different stretches different stuff because i think it's important for people to understand this difference it is a difference. It would certainly have an impact on uh, periodization. So what you den- generally find as you're training through the week is you're training towards the game, and but you'd also do that, so on the micro scale within a week, but you'd also do that over a season. So if you're chopping and changing, then it would have an impact on that. Now, it's possible that he's chopping and changing based on uh, you know testing that's being carried out. You know, I think you know, Potts used to do uh, blood tests all the time on the players, didn't he? And then tailor training based on that. I don't know whether that's the kind of regime we've got. It might just be off uh, the GPS and the the heart rate, you know, stuff that the the players were in you know were in training. I don't know, but it could just be that Antonio has changed his mind, and you know, then you're into a slightly kind of less scientific approach to it, aren't you? And 
you know, that's what we saw with Mourinho in the end, wasn't it? It was a kind of, a, a, you know, not following the science. I don't know where we are with Conte, I really don't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Gareth, have you any thoughts on that? Because, I mean, I do think that these things make a huge difference as to when you have your, your ice baths per week, when you do your certain stretches, when you do this stuff. I mean, it's all, it, it's calibrated, you know, very specifically. And any deviations to that, especially if they're const- consistently erratic deviations, can, can have an effect, surely. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even pretend to know the science behind it, but I think it's one of these other marginal gains. And if other teams mm-hmm. are doing it better than us, or we're doing it better than other teams, it's going to have an impact on Sunday afternoon when you play. More I think. Not. I think the thing with that, you know, kind of cancelling training and cancelling days off and what have you, I think all that kind of stuff is fine when the, the when when you're winning and things are going well. When you're not winning or you're not playing well, then it becomes. Um, it's going to grate on players and um, it's going to be something that they, they moan about. And, you know, unfortunately that's the kind of season we're having. And, you know, maybe that's why this stuff is coming out now because, um, you know, players are a bit pissed off with how they're playing and, you know, and yeah. how things are going. And yeah, that's when agents leak things or, you know, friends of players leak things or, you know, people at the club leak things. I don't know. Yep. Yep. What we can say is that the following sentence is not one that you would have imagined was going to kickstart this game. Hoybier to Davis, Davis to Royal, Royal passes it into the back of the net. And it isn't nearly as straightforward as I'm putting it, is it? Um, who wants to talk through the fact that not only have we got three of the most unlikely uh, creative names in there, uh, but that they created a beautiful goal and it was a beautiful goal. They did, yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't. I feel like, as with everything that's done with Conte, this is probably something that's been planned or worked on in training, whether directly as it panned out or, or something similar. Because it's almost as if we duped West Ham, because you saw suddenly Kuliseski pulled out really wide to the right hand side, but, you know, as he had been for, for most of the game, which provided Emerson the opportunity to underlap off the ball. Um, not only did Kane drop off deep for that move, but so did Richarlison as well. And then out of nowhere, Ben Davis makes a run. And I mean, let's give Hoiberg credit for the pass. I mean, I heard David Moyes saying that they should have defended it better. But we know that Hoiberg's got that in his locker, that he's slid a straight ball through the best part of 30 yards for oh, Davis to get onto. Um, great ball. And, and mean, then as, as Davis great. receives it, I'm you know looking up and then to his right-hand side, you see another player in the centre forward position. And it's Emerson Royale. I mean, it was, that, was a, that was a sort of a two centre forwards in those positions. I mean, I just wonder whether Emerson Royale been listening. So before the game, they did a bit about Harry Kane's achieving the record and they were talking to Martin Chivers, who'd played alongside Greavesy. And he really articulated the point that Jimmy Greaves never used to smash the ball into the net. He would just caress it and he would pass it into the net. Um, and that's exactly what Emerson Royale did. So whether he suddenly got this idea, oh, yeah, do you know what? If I get in front of goal, I could just pass the ball into the corner like Jimmy Greaves. And that's exactly what it did. And here we are talking about Emerson Royale and Jimmy Greaves in the same same sentence. But I mean, that was a goal that Greaves would have been would have been proud of. It was, you, it was you, Greaves-esque more, in his finish. More than that, you've actually officially compared Emerson Royale to Jimmy Greaves, Gareth, and let this pod go on record as having you saying that. And he's now only 263 goals behind the great man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lovely taking goal, wasn't it? And um, I think, uh, yeah, his run of form over the last say, month, really, isn't it now, um, has been has been exceptional. He's been, he's been our, you know, if we're doing player of the month, you're going to give it to Emerson Royale, aren't mm. you, really? On, on the strength of that, he's been the best player or one of the best players in every game during that period. Um, and it's it's really nice to see because um, he's you know he's had a hard time. I think there was a story a few weeks ago that 
you remember he used to do the compilation videos that he, he tweeted out and was shared on Instagram after games. He stopped doing those earlier on this season because of the abuse he was getting. Um, so I think yeah, if anyone deserves um, you know, second chance, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, deserves that uh, um, kind of run of form and you know the, the adulation and you know I think there was a, a ironic uh, calls for him to shoot when he was uh, when he got the ball a few times in the second half. It's him because you know, even when he's played played badly in the past. And I don't think he's ever played as badly as people were saying he was. He's always given it his all. Redemption arc of the season? Is it the or oh, redemption arc? Is Do you think it's the highlight of the season? I mean, it's, it is probably the redemption arc of our season in terms of a player coming from <laughs> I, having been completely yeah. smashed I, by the crowd into being an, uh, you know, a hero. But, you know, is it the highlight I, of the season for us? There aren't too many highlights of the season, really. I mean, as I'm saying that, and, you know, we're still in the last 16 of the Champions League. We're fourth place in the Premier League and we've got a good chance of going through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. <laughs> but it's been a pretty crap season on the whole and we haven't played uh, you know, haven't played great football. So you've got to cling on to whatever you can get. And I think probably... Yeah, when you look back on the season, you know, obviously you're gonna it's gonna be Harry Kane breaking Crew's record, but after that it's probably probably is um Royal turning it around. Yeah. I mean uh, I was gonna say this is trajectory. We've seen a number of cult heroes. Um, I mean Musa Sissoko was derided, wasn't it? And then just mm-hmm. suddenly he seemed to turn it around and people began to notice that actually he was um, actually giving something and he was providing something very positive. It's happened for Emerson Royale. Um, whether it's a coincidence or not, at a time when we spent a lot of money on a player who plays in his position. But at the moment, in, you know, I, I said it, but I thought Poro was probably the right choice for us to make, or right selection choice for us today, because we should, in theory, have enjoyed a lot more of the ball in the final third, which is where he should have added a difference. But if Emerson Royale is going to end up making runs off the ball and end up in those sorts of positions... Um, then he's an asset to the team, not only when we're trying to defend, or no, we're going to be doing a lot of defending, but actually he can get us into some really good positions. And you think the next opponents that we have when they're working out how do we play against Spurs or what do we need to stop them? This is a this is a new angle, kind of quite literally, that they need to be aware of now. So while we're talking about Parra, I was a little disappointed that he didn't come on for the last 10 minutes or so. I think with us, t- you know, 2-0 up and coasting, really, it would have been a chance for him to get a bit of experience and... Um, get some minutes under his belt and you know we never know that we, you know we might need him at some point so I think it was a bit yeah a bit silly to give him you know not give him those minutes and then you know Perisic comes on the other side where you know Davis was doing fine we didn't really need the change there and Perisic has got yeah. you know quite a lot of minutes this season and probably could have done with the rest so yeah I thought there's some odd choices and bringing on Mora was a very a very strange one as well when you've got Dan Juma sat on the bench but yeah I would have given Porra some minutes yeah yeah I don't disagree with that I, ju- I just want to f- finish off something on Emerson Royale that I think is really uh, I just think once again it's a really important reminder for people and you cannot ever overemphasize this enough you know <laughs> there is not a terrible terrible Premier League footballer there is not a terrible, terrible footballer at Tottenham Hotspur. They can all play. It's about systems. It's about confidence. It's about where you have them playing. It's about what they can do. It's about what you're asking them to do. And I think one thing you'd say about Emerson Royal this season is, and I mean, he's been public about it as well. The guy has worked really, really hard to improve himself for what Conti wants out of that system. And I think we on this pod have all acknowledged repeatedly that as a right back, he is, you know, he's pretty formidable as a wing back we were not so sure so to see him really building himself into a viable uh, not just a viable option but the first choice wing back is really it's, it's great and you know it, it just shows i wish people would would take the wider context of a player sometimes um and the other part of the goal that we haven't talked about you touched on it uh, gareth is i love seeing harry 
drop deep like that and bring people with him for a walkabout. I love seeing that. And, you know, and then we, you know, we have to get to the other pit, which is Ben Davis, you know, at left wing back storming in, as you said, behind in general chaps, uh, you know, it's the first time he's played at left wing back for a few years. I think it went back to what, 2021 under uh, Mourinho. Uh, you know, how do you think he did? I mean, it seems almost superfluous to ask that question, given we've just like heaped praise on him for the run, but let's take the game overall. Uh, how, um, you know, how did you feel about his performance? Well, so he played that position in twenty in the twenty sixteen seventeen season. I think it's perhaps easily forgotten that Danny Rose got injured at Sunderland at the end of January that year, and this was the season we went on to get eighty six points. And Ben Davis played pretty much every week as a left wing back um, from February through until May, and he he, he did it very well. Uh, it's another option, and I think what he's demonstrated today is that's another option that there will be occasions when um, while Sessegnon's out, Perisic isn't going to be able to play twice a week, and you know, actually you could argue he's not playing well enough to be in the team anyway. So it's definitely a different option for, for us, and I think that whilst Longley's fit and there are opponents such as West Ham who are going to give us a lot of the ball, that well, yeah, I, I would have no objection to seeing Ben Davis there again. Can I venture that it's our best left-wing back performance of the season? Oh, I, 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 I agree. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I, um, you can venture it, and and please go into it. I think what was interesting, so I think he played really well, and uh, West Ham being so crap uh, meant that he could play, you know, kind of high and wide, and he didn't have to do too much of the end to end, you know, work that you you sometimes have to do as a wing back, which probably favoured him. Although having said that, from left centre back, he gets forward plenty and runs into into the half space, into the channels there. So it's not as if we don't see him kind of get up the pitch. So, yeah, I thought he did really well. I think it's interesting with um, you know, him paired with Richarlison. I think we're probably going to get to Richarlison next. You know, Richarlison was playing a lot more centrally, so there's a lot more space there. And I think quite often with uh, Perisic and Son, it's been a little bit congested in that part of the pitch and they've been trying to get playing the same areas. So maybe... Um, you know, Richarlison playing also helped him because it gave you know, gave him a bit more space to operate and uh, yeah, and someone else to aim for, I suppose. But yeah, he played he played superbly, played really well. I was really really impressed with his fluidity as well. And I mean, you know, he really, I mean, you know, you don't think of Ben Davis as being particularly fast, uh, but he certainly isn't slow. I mean, he's 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 quicker than you mm-hmm. think. He's sharp. He's technically uh, a very very uh, good footballer. He uh, does the basics very very well. I I, I yeah, I I agree. I mean, I. I would be, I mean, I think he's ahead of Perisic for me uh, right now, for sure. I mean, you know, despite the fact I don't necessarily love Clement Longley at left centre back, but, you know, given the options that we've got and the pack we're juggling right now, I would take that. I would take that combination right now for sure. Yeah. We've got a free midweek and then from, but then after that we go Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. So we play Chelsea, Sheffield United, um, Wolves, and then AC Milan. Then we have Forest in the in the league again. So that's kind of five back-to-back games. And there's going to need to be some rotation. If we assume that Cess isn't going to be back before that, then we're going to see Davis play left wing back, I would say, on at least one occasion in those in those five games. Or Emerson Royale. Or Emerson Royale with, yeah, Perra on the yeah. right side. I mean, Dyer won't play the second Champions League leg, will he? Because he's suspended. And, you know, who knows what injuries are likely to materialise in that time as well. But it, but it is another option. I think it's worth expanding on that point that you were just bringing there, Milo, about Royale on the, uh, potentially on the left. Yeah, that's just another, you know, another way we can shuffle the pack, really, isn't it? It's, you know, some games we might decide, you know, if Porro, um, you know, gets himself out of uh, Conte's bad books and is trusted again, um, you know, sometime before his 30th birthday, then um, <laughs> maybe, uh, 
maybe Royal could uh, could play on the left and uh, and uh, Poro on the right. I think. Um, yeah, I think in terms of Sessegnon, we're probably not going to see him until after the international break at the end of March, are we? Let's move on from that. Uh, and let's move on to Richarlison, who, you know, he got his chance. He got a very rare uh, start in his preferred position, or one of his preferred positions, we should say. I mean, his preferred position he won't be getting for a little while. Hopefully not for another couple of years, I would say. But um, left forward, okay, uh, three, two, one, go. Someone take this on. How did he do? So I, I think probably the... <laughs> The biggest change this meant is that Kane dropped deep, as you were you know, talking about earlier on with um, with the goal. Um, Richardson coming in meant that play, Kane played deeper than he than he has recently, um, and something that you know, again we've been calling for here because it means that Kane turns into creator and he's our most creative player. Um, I thought Richardson did okay; he was a, a bit rusty, but um, I think he probably helped those around him and um, and helped the team and. Um, yeah, I, I quite. I, it's something that I'd want to. I'd want to persevere with. I'd want to try that again next weekend. Um, I think Sunny. You know, maybe we're entering the era where Sunny's a super sub, and um, at the, you know, the two times he's been benched this season, he's come on and scored. Um, that's something that we can do with. And yeah, Richarlison does all the hard work and wears wears a team out, and then Sunny comes on and takes uh, takes uh, the the. You know, it takes advantage, and I, and I think you know certainly with the goal we you know we saw with the you know, Sun's goal, uh, with Kane dropping deep and Sun leading the line, which is what we saw all of last season and has changed this year. Um, I think it really showed what we were missing. Yeah, yeah, super I, I, sub, I like this. You've got a super sub, right? Sunny mm. is a super sub. You think? Mm-hmm. So we're back to the era of David Fairclough, and uh, curiously, we're back to our potential second ginger hairpiece for a Tottenham Hotspur player to help enhance their performance. Maybe it's a ginger curly wig for a. Uh, for, for, for Sonny. Sonny to emulate uh, David Fairclough, yeah, he can go with, I... with 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 De- with Decky's mullet, Decky's ginger mullet. You see, <laughs> help me, Gareth. I'm bringing us off tangent again to one of my favourite topics: yeah, players' um, hair. For which I, I once wrote in... a story for the magazine, and it got edited down for for fear of offence. Anyway, um, I looked this up before the game I, when I knew that Sonny was on the bench whether he, he has an impact when he comes on the bench and we all remember that he, he did so scored a hat-trick against Leicester early in September on the 21 occasions prior to that when he'd been a substitute for Spurs which goes back to about 2017 he hadn't scored a single goal having come off the bench um, so it's a fairly recent phenomenon for him to come off the bench and score goals this season I mean it happened it happened more often than I thought actually than back over sort of a four-year four-year period um, but it's over the longer term it was twice in 23 games now that he's come off the bench and, and scored. Um, but, as, he, but as Milo said, we may be entering a new phase, a new era in a man's year, life. No, no. We advance a little bit in your years. These things suddenly take a life of their own. Yeah. I, I mean, to answer the original question about Richarlison, just felt that there wasn't quite that synergy between him and Kane earlier on. Mm. That, whereas the goal for Sonny, it just seems so instinctive that Kane got it. He looked up. His first touch was to pass the ball behind the defender. And Sonny's first, you could tell from his first touch that he was going to score. He just set himself perfectly, which hasn't necessarily always been the case this season. Um, now, of course, he's playing against a yeah, you know, tired defence. Richarlison, for me, you're probably going to get the best out of him when he's got a lot to close down and you're really going to notice the press that he can apply at the front, mm-hmm. as long as that's the team instruction. Because West Ham are playing 
so deep and had no intention to have the ball at the back at all. I guess that was the whole um, angle of his game that we didn't see today or it didn't come in. So he was feeding off scraps, essentially. And we, we said it was a fairly crap first half and he had, had very little to do. He had the shot in the second half when Decky did get away and pulled the ball back from the air and he just didn't get a good connection of it. And it yeah. was a simple th- one for the goalkeeper. I think we're expecting a bit much for him and Kane to be linking up. You know, they haven't played together that many times. And yeah. it takes time. It takes time for those kind of things to settle in. I think you know Richardson's got the quality there, um, and I, I just think he's been misused a lot this season. So, I mean, like most of our summer signings, um, yeah, I'd like to see more of him. I agree, and I do think to add to the weight of expectation, you know, he gets a start, and we're expecting fireworks immediately. And I mean, this is a team which is, uh, you know, for, and we've sort of broken this down for whatever reason is, you know, finding it hard going for, for large passages of football matches right now. So he's expected to come in and, and fire off in that condition uh, in those conditions, I should say it's, it's tough, tough work. And again, look, not to harp on about the penalty, but you know, that hand does stop, a, a ball going through to Kane from him, which, you know, who knows what that does for his confidence, especially if Harry puts it away. So I agree. I, I think we should definitely be utilising our tools more. And he is most certainly, uh, you know, a prime asset. And uh, I, I do think there's more to come from him. Um, well, we, we've we've pretty efficiently wrapped this West Ham performance up, I think, at this point. Uh, you know, we've covered, uh, we've covered the midfield. We've covered all our wingbacks. What we haven't covered is the opposition that we've faced. Uh, let's be let's be blunt a lot of our first half moans were partially because West Ham were dire in the first half and were there for the taking right I'm not sure they were dire in the first half I think they did exactly what they were instructed to do which was to keep it very tight and essentially I suppose give them credit because they did really restrict us to very little in the first half overall I didn't sorry you've got to wash your mouth out there you can you never give West Ham credit on this pod what are you talking about you can't can't have that please please (laughs) rephrase that in any way that's palatable (laughs) Um, I I just felt on the whole, and we, we said this before before recording, that I didn't think there was very much difference between this game and the Aston Villa game on, on, on New Year's Day. Um, I thought both teams came there and would have been very, very happy to go away with a nil-nil. The, you know, the difference was that we didn't have a goalkeeper who, who chucked one in today and um, <laughs> to give the opposition something to hold on to. And game state was, was completely different. That was the, that was the, that was the difference for me. Um, they then offered absolutely nothing. I said that would be the really telling thing for them that having gone one nil behind, they were completely incapable of shifting momentum back, which you know is, is difficult in the Premier League wherever you go. And you, the game state and the first goal is is very very important. I think you know, to answer your question, what do I think of them? Um, I thought they were very very poor today, um, but I think they'll probably stay up. I think they're in the bottom three at the moment. I think somewhere down the line they'll string together you know a couple of results they are there are some good players and there are some match winners in there and they may not finish much higher than 15th but I think they'll probably be all right but they were they were pretty poor today and it wasn't very much for their supporters to be excited about and you know 10 minutes of banter of West Ham get bat and you're going down and 2-0 in your cup final probably better and miserable an afternoon for them as it could have been I mean you say Foster didn't throw the ball in his own goal he didn't I don't think didn't have anything to do, did he? I mean, his, his kit doesn't need washing this week, does it? They can just fold it up and save it for next weekend. It's it, it, no no grass stains, no mud, nothing. Um, I think West Ham will do very well in the championship next season. Um, but they were atrocious. They were awful. And they, you know, and how Moyes is still in the job, I don't know. It, you, it, it was pretty clear that you know, the season's been going wrong for a long time. He should have been sacked before the World Cup. 
Yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought there's, well, we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, one positive, one negative. But uh, uh, I, you did mention there Fraser Forster, Milo. Uh, I think uh, we should all acknowledge the the mighty home Premier League debut uh, <laughs> for Fraser Forster, which was a clean sheet. And the fact that he uh, <laughs> had next to nothing to do for it is by the by. The statistics will tell us that his home debut was a clean sheet and a peerless performance from Big Fraser, which can only do his confidence the power of good, right? I mean... We could have put Pedro Porro in goal today and it would have been <laughs> fine. It was... Um, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about West Ham is, I mean, they spent a lot of money in the summer. I think it was 175 million they spent. And yeah, just, yeah nothing to show for it. No, and I'm still not quite done with Fraser. I have to say, my, my, my missus looked in on the game and, and, and happened to catch a frame of big Fraser in goal and said, bloody hell. I said, look, look at that guy. Look at the size of him. She said, look at his hands. She said, if he put them in the air, he'd be like one of those inflatable wavy things outside car dealers. In America, if you've seen those in American shows, mm. those wavy inflatables, she thought he looked like one of those in repose with his hands down. So I thought it was quite a funny take. So. I don't he, know. He anyway. did have he did have one save to make where he had to dive down and to his his uh, his right and he got down yeah. there this time. So that's yeah, one up good. from last weekend. So yeah, good, good, good. In Fraser, we trust. I wonder. So with the with the floating pitch, when he lands on the ground, it must make a real thud, mustn't it? It must be a real <laughs> echo. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel it in the stands uh, today, Gareth? Yeah, that absolutely. one moment where he hit the turf. Yeah. Like having the like having the drum back in the ground. Yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the shelf side drum. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. God, where's he? Yeah, all these bloody numpties going on about we want this, we want that. Get the bloody drum back in the corner. There it's we fine go. As, That's fine. Fine as long as you weren't sat next to him, wasn't it? it was... oh, I bet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Closing thoughts. One positive and one negative in thirty seconds. Um, three, two, one. Who wants to go first? Go on. Grab for the mic. Okay, so my, my positive is Romero. Man City game, we saw how um, you know, he, he plays on the edge. And if he gets it wrong, he risks getting a yellow card and then putting himself in a dangerous situation. But today, I, th- I thought he was fantastic. I thought mm. he very he won a lot of challenges around the halfway line. He was able to defend, turn defence into an attack on several occasions. Okay, it didn't come of anything of it, but it just proves how important it is. And if you've got a player like that who can do things like that for you, it makes a big difference. Um, yeah, ne- negative for me is, is, is just how poor the first half is. And on another occasion, we know that we have got an error reckoness and we'll play... As, as, as tentatively as that and find ourselves a goal behind and, and going up a mountain I think my positive just the result really we needed that after a couple of defeats and um, kind of the negativity was creeping back in again and um, yeah so good good to um, uh, yeah good to get a, a you know, positive result after a, a you know, a tough week and uh, negative. Yeah. Just that really, really, really tedious first half. Um, you know, we, I mean, you know, there's two nice goals in the second half, but yeah, there's something not right about the team. And, um, you know, while, whilst we can't complain about where we are, it's not, it's not easy on the eye, is it? I'm going to, I'm going to replicate your uh, positive and negative there. My life feel exactly the same. Um, you know, that again, I think that's a team that we should be comfortably putting four or five past. We have the talent, we have the players, and you just want the confidence to build so that the, they believe they can. But, you know, we've got another chance next week against a struggling, uh, a bunch of struggling Londoners. So, mm. <laughs> so we'll have a chance, won't we? Um, anyway. So so, if you, so we've played the East London racists. Now we're off to play the West London racists <laughs> next weekend. So... Yes, wonderful! Uh, what a what a what a wonderful uh, world it is, right? <laughs> full of full of 
nice people enjoy. Ah, dear. There's a pause that you might have heard in my voice because I'm thinking of uh, the many times I have uh, seen uh, some pretty, uh, you know, nasty stuff uh, involving uh, both of those clubs. And to that point, uh, before we leave this game review, uh, Milo, you had uh, you pointed out that uh, once again, West Ham fans were engaging in the same old racist tropes uh, with regards to, to, to Sonny. Um, mm. uh, online abuse again, which the club have made a statement about, I believe. Uh, but, uh, fill in the details, if you will. Yeah, no, the club uh, tweeted out after the game that they were aware of it and that they'd, they'd reported it. So, I mean, hopefully... Um, They've reported it to the police as well as as well as Twitter and um, and and West Ham and and that there's some action taken against these these people because it's you know, it's all too frequent occurrence. Yeah, as we always say, and you can never say it enough when this stuff comes up. It has to stop. It's no good, and it has to be called out when it happens. So. Um... Well, we move on from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and we move back in time to the San Siro <laughs> last Tuesday night. AC Milan, round of 16, away tie, packed stadium, um, a manager uh, literally on the edge of the razor's edge of his own health, <laughs> returning to the scene of former triumphs with Inter Milan. Um, it was a tight game. Uh, what? How did you think it went overall? I mean, let, let's be generalist about this, shall we? Um, I mean, Skip and Sarah's side, I thought it was a really, really poor performance. I thought uh, we were we were blunt up front. We were shaky in defence. I thought the shape of the team was poor. It was a really scrappy game where everyone was kind of chasing around after their own, you know, their own little battles, and there wasn't really much shape to our team. And um, it, yeah, I, it's yeah, we were bad. We were we were bad. I think yeah, whilst. And actually, we, you know, we were lucky to get away with a, a one nil because late on Milan had several chances that um, you would expect them to put away, and we could have easily ended up kind of losing that three nil and and not having much chance in the second leg. Yeah, I think you can take Spurs out of the Europa League, but you can't take the Europa League out of Spurs. For me, that was just a Europa League performance dressed up as a Champions League away game. We are dreadful away from home in Europe. I mean, just look back at the the numbers. I know we won at one at Marseille, but that felt like slightly different because they were pushing for a goal at the at the end you remember how bad we were in the first half performance there I just felt like I it was it was such a predictable away European performance I could take I'll take that kind of that incredible Champions League run out for a moment but that could have been any number of Europa League performances that we've seen over the years when we go to places like Moura or Rennes or Sporting earlier this year in the in the Champions League and just don't turn up I thought we were playing against a very average team who wouldn't mm. have looked out of place in the Europa League I watched a bit of Barcelona and Manchester United in the Europa League on Thursday night and to all intent and purposes that looked like two Champions League teams playing our one looked like two Europa League teams playing I think the only positive I'll take from it is that we've got the ability to turn it around at home but then it's a, it becomes a bit of a flip of a coin again because who knows what external factors will materialise there, there was nothing really that enthused me about the game other than that Skip and Sarp in a in a mature performance uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get on we'll get on to them in a minute that's 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 another topic of conversation i, I just want to add i i think it may be personally i think maybe both been slightly harsh uh given the fact we conceded a very cheap and early goal uh despite fraser force's heroic efforts to keep the ball out actually mm-hmm. uh must be said uh he's very unlucky there um i actually thought that we were going to get absolutely smashed after that goal i thought could i could see th- I, I was seeing three four nil i was really not confident and i thought the fact we managed to find our sea legs and stabilize was was somewhat uh of a positive actually in that game and 
had we not conceded such a cheap goal, looking at it, I wonder if it wouldn't have ended up like it did today against West Ham. We would have comfortably uh, run out winning. AC Milan have been in rotten form this year, though, this this, this calendar year. Right. And um, so, you know, I think you've got to take into account that you've got two really wobbly teams playing each other. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, please, we didn't concede more. But it's not as if we created a huge amount of chances either. Yeah, yeah, we didn't. We were poor in creation. But Gareth, you were getting on to uh, talking about Skip and Sar, and I, I, I stopped you from running away with that one because uh, it is probably the only two players we really want to discuss in detail from that game. Uh, so why don't you lead the charge? Okay, for both of them, one's 22 years old and the other's 20 years old. It was an incredibly mature, well, they've incredibly mature performances from both of them individually, and they work really well together in a pair. But look, I don't want to get carried away. As as mature as they were, there was nothing in that. Before there was, they they were part of a poor team. I think so. We're saying that they played well against a very low benchmark of a fairly mediocre performance from the you know from the team as a whole. Um, I, perhaps I, I wouldn't individually give them any more than seven. You'd probably add a add a point to both of them because of the fact of their lack of experience and their you know their their their, their age. But um, maybe it's something. I my, my fear is we won't see them playing as a pair often enough that they'll get to form that relationship and, and to develop that. But this is going to be our midfield for years and years to come. Yeah, I suspect they probably play together quite a bit in training. Conte likes um, likes rehearsing for the weekend's games by picking his start, you know, playing his starting eleven against another team and working through um, mm. you know, match situations. So I'd imagine that they play against um, Hoybier and uh, Bentenker quite often uh, in training. Um, I thought they played really well and I think they complement each other well uh, they've got a nice range of skills between them you know and Saar you know it's been it's been really nice seeing his um kind of development since the World Cup where um you know he looks really he's really composed he's got a lovely range of passing um you know as you said a couple of weeks ago Steph about how, you know, how he glides past players um I think we've you know we've really found a, a good one there and uh Skip has uh Again, it's been it's been really good these last last this last week or so. Um, after some you know iffy form earlier in the season, it's good to see him back to his best and it's kind of reminding us of the type of player he is. He he just does um does the ugly stuff well, doesn't he? He he grafts and grifts you know through a game and uh, and uh, gives everyone else a platform to play. And yeah, really useful. Every team needs one. I think Saar has such a, a shape about his movement the way he carries himself the way he glides he definitely is a one of those players that glides effortlessly around the pitch i mean it's just it's a sentence we usually apply to you know <laughs> to, to elite midfielders of of, of great experience and, and creativity even and he's got that about him um i i, I think in our chat thread it was said uh, and i think it's been said uh, by a couple of other of my friends he's got a bit of the vieras about him which you can see. I think he belies his his age. Um, he just looks so comfortable. Um, and he seems to make excellent decisions as to mm-hmm. when to look for the pass and when to keep it simple. And, and there was a passage midway through the first half where I, I was looking for him to play a, a more advanced pass and he kind of checked and p- played a small three, four yard pass. And then literally two minutes later, he whipped this outstanding ball uh, through. Uh, uh, it was a diagonal, uh, you know, out, out wide. And he, and he whipped it from a deep position, a good 30 yards it was. It was a beautiful ball. It was, a, it was actually the pass of the match. And it was just 
like that, just the blink of an eye. You, you know, he's languid, looks languid, gliding, and then suddenly, boom, turns it on. I, I think he looks tremendous. And I know that we can never, you know, fully say where a player's going to go. But my word, I, I, you just you want him to get his shot with us because you feel if we don't do it, if we don't see this player properly in the next year, couple of years, we are going to be blowing it big time because I think he's got everything it is to be massive. And I think, you know, we were talking earlier on about kind of <laughs> things through you know, the season and you know, what you remember about it and what have you. I think one of the things we could, we've got every right to be excited about is we've got a really exciting bunch of young players at the club now. You know, Saar, uh, you know, Brian Hill's out on loan, but you know, look, he had that very good game against Palace and you know, load bags of potential. You know, Porro's only 23, Udogi coming in, you know, Romero's young for a centre-back. You, know, you, go, you go through there and there's some really, really, you know, Decky's, you know, 22, yeah. So, you know, we've got some really exciting young players there and, you know, some, you know, some good players in the, in the under 21s as well who, you know, may, may well come through and join them. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot to be excited about. And, yeah. you, know, it, it, you know, next season, the season after, I think, um, I think we've got the, the, the building blocks of a really good team. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, what do we think our chances are in the second leg? And I think it's impossible to address that without referring to the fact that we will be without Eric Dyer. I mean, who, what do you think is going to happen in the defensive reshuffle to accommodate uh, Eric's it, Eric's rest? It's going to be an interesting, one, isn't it? I mean, the choice there is going to be between Sanchez and Longley in in the centre central you know, centre of uh, the, the back three. Uh, it will be really interesting to see what he does. Um, yeah, they they're very different players. They bring something very different to that position. Um, I think Longley quite suits Champions League football in that, you know, he's, he's good in possession. He's good on the ball. He, you know, good at bringing other players into, into play and spreading the ball around. Um, Davo is a bit more you know, physical, quicker. Um, I suppose against yeah. Giroud, you probably want Sanchez. You probably fancy Sanchez against Giroud more than Longley, wouldn't you? Um, Sanchez gives you but, a bit more pace if you think we're I'd imagine the game will be played mostly in Milan's half I'd imagine they'll sit fairly deep and actually having a having Sanchez who's able there to make those recovery runs for you might be really really important yeah I, I, think, I, think, so. we, I think we've got a good chance of going through it's only 1-0 it's back at our place um, we'd you know, I was actually rather foolishly about to say then it would be tough for us to play that badly again. But actually, we've been playing that badly all season, so maybe it won't be. But yeah, yeah I mean, one one nil away from home isn't a bad result. Um, we've no got every chance goals. of going through. Yeah, there are no away goals anymore either. Yeah, it's a good chance of going through. I think. I think if we play with personality, if we go out there uh, believing that we can win, as opposed to figuring out whether we can find a way to get the job done. And I think there's a great difference when you when you step into the Champions League in last 16 in, in, in those two approaches. And I think if we take the one where we have personality, we're at home and this is our game, we are going to win. I think we will win. I think we'll win to it quite comfortably. I think I could see a 3-0, three, 3-1, three, you know, but it is down to that. And it's down to our big players to show up and lead the way. It's down to Harry to really lead the side, I think, and say, you know, we're, we're Tottenham and they're not as good as us and we're going to get this done. I mean, I think it comes down to whether it's Christian Stellini's blue and white army or not. You know, if he, if he's well, if he's in control, we're through. You know, I mean, might yeah. as well might as well put our name on the trophy Oof. now. If if we're, uh, yeah, never let it be said that I would disagree with that. I think, look, I mean, I, I, 
in the spirit of not repeating what we've said last week, I have to say Antonio must take time to get better because we cannot afford indecision in this game and anywhere in that stadium. It can't be physically present. I know you all think I'm lemons and auras, but you can't afford it. You can't afford to have that. Everything that's everything that's there that night has to be sure. So and you look at Christian and you know you know what you're getting from Christian Stellini, don't you? Yeah, he's got it. He's got it, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got it. He's yeah, got I mean it. I, he I, may not. He may not challenge George Clooney for the leading role anytime soon. But he's got a hundred percent record as our manager, and I, I agree with you, Milo. I think it would continue. I bet he gives good hugs. Hmm. <laughs> I try to imagine what. Yeah, I suppose. I, I just. I, I mean, is it rude to say that he looks a bit Shrekish, or is that Fraser? Fraser Forster. All of a sudden, yeah. yeah. All, all of a sudden, we're, we're talking about footballers that don't look like Fernando Lorente at our football club. <sighs> Well, Fraser Mr. Forster, was a footballer. Fraser Forster hug, you'd, you'd know about that, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think, I've, actually, that should be a tactic for the game. We should get big Fraser and Christian to go and hug each, each AC Milan player before the game as a gesture of goodwill and good faith and just squeeze, squeeze the energy out of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I agree with you. Christian Cellini should lead and we will lead. And yes, I, I like it. Put our name that's, on that's the thing to do, actually, is we should make Forster captain for the game, and when he gets to shake the hand of the of the other opposing <laughs> captain, just crush it. <laughs> I like that. I like this. You see, these are the margins that will make you European champions, aren't they? These are the things that you need to do. I hope that someone from the club is listening because we've got it all sorted out. But uh, we all agree. We all think that this is a tie that we will. It's alive. Know, we feel it's confident a, that we're going to go and win yeah. it, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I the think there's alive. a mark. I said how bad we are generally away from home in Europe. We're generally quite good at home. There's a, there was a marked difference actually between how we perform in away games to how we perform in home games, which is far more exaggerated than than domestically. Um, I mean, I do I do think the last four games probably been a fair reflection of us. We played very well against Manchester City. We played very badly against Leicester, and we kind of played all right. A bit stodgily against Milan and West Ham, won one and lost one, and I think that's probably what it'll be like for the rest of the season. So our next four games are the Chelsea, Sheffield United in the FA Cup, Wolves in the in the Premier League, and then AC Milan. I, I think across those four games, there'll probably be a really really good performance somewhere. There'll probably be a really bad performance somewhere, and there'll be two more that will be somewhere in between. Yes, and once we get through to the quarterfinal stages, as we all know, our away performances suddenly start to get super great in the Champions League. And we will go on and prosper with Christian leading us from the sidelines. It has been prophesied on The Game is About Glory. You heard it here first. And with that, chaps, thank you very much. It's always fun to celebrate a victory over West Ham. I mean, let it not be said, we've been quite sedate on this pod, I think. We've had a little, you know, chit-chat job. But let's, but let's be honest, it feels fucking wonderful to beat them every time. It, the, the thrill never goes away, does it? It's always just like, yeah. <laughs> right just yeah well yeah 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 i mean i feel sorry for you steph because you're a long way away from it and in fact you are as well milo but anyone who's on the um on the sort of the m25 clock face anyone that lives between sort of 12 o'clock and three o'clock in there going out to places like harlow and brentwood and, and essex they're gonna have a fantastic day at work tomorrow will you be having a fantastic day at work tomorrow will you I'm, be goading well, anyone in particular my, my, are you a my, goader my... are you a beta are you a banterer do I, do, do I strike you as one? I'm, I'm, I'm not. My, my boss is a West Ham fan. I'm actually, in, rarely I've got a day I'm in the office with him tomorrow. But he'd already written off the game on, on Friday, to be fair to him. Don't let him away with that, please. 
Can't be. Don't let him away with that. I, oh, I, tend, to, I tend to do it. I oh, I knew you were step. better than us. Don't let him away with that. You know, deep down, he's absolutely seething. Don't, 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 don't you worry. <laughs> and if they'd have pulled it off, he'd have been giving you pelters. I think this is one of those matches where you're allowed to be uh, allowed to to give some back. So uh, I hope your boss. I hope your boss sees the other side of of you, Gareth, and you give him a hard time. I'll report back on Tuesday. Thank you. <laughs> right, chaps. Again. Thank you. Just, <laughs> Thank you very much. Hopefully we can look forward to even more banter next week when we talk about our game against, uh, as you quite rightly put it, Milo, the West London racist of Chelsea. So, uh, by the way, we are just having a little fun. Nobody get too sensitive about it. We know that there are many good Chelsea fans out there as well. We're talking about the bad ones. Anyway, that's it. Thank you. Good night. See you next week. <laughs>